Making Jesus Lord by Lauren Cunningham. Read to you by Abigail Jacobs. Chapter 1. The Road to the Whole World It's amazing how one small turn can change your life forever. The last thing I remembered was glancing sleepily at my wife, Darlene, who was driving our Volkswagen van. We were driving home to California from one of the toughest encounters I'd had in my life. I'd driven all night and around 6 a.m. given the wheel to Darlene. Now, warm, dry air from the Arizona highway and surrounding desert blew in through the front window, making her fair complexion flush, a little blowing her short, blonde hair. I took off my shoes and crawled into a sleeping bag in the back, closing my eyes. What a treasure she is, Lord, I thought, my head rocking drowsily with the rhythm of the van, especially with all we've just been through. The last few weeks had wrung everything out of me. We'd just come from a meeting with the head of our denomination. Because of my choice to start an interdenominational mission organization, I chose to give up my ministral status with the church. It was a tough choice because many of my friends didn't understand my decision. There was something else, too. A short time before I had turned down my aunt's offer to join her in a multi-million dollar business, that too would have conflicted with what God was telling me to do, and I wanted to obey him at all costs. So I had burned all my bridges behind me. Darlene had touched my heart standing steadfastly at my side as I laid down both my chances for a bright financial future and the prospects of a successful career in the church. I'd given up everything to follow the Lord's call to pioneer an interdenominational mission. It was just Darlene, just Darlene and me now. There was almost nothing left to give up. I startled from sleep to find myself rolling around violently inside the van, tossed like a wad of paper. With a sickening crunch of metal and glass, the van was rolling from side to side, its top on to its other side, down the highway, while my head and body slammed painfully against the inside walls. Suddenly, I was flung out of a side window as far as my waist. The pavement came rushing up at my face while the van continued to roll on top of me. Knowing I'd be crushed, I slapped my hands against the pavement and pushed myself back inside. Then everything went black. I must have regained consciousness only a few seconds later, for I was outside the van and clouds of dust were just settling around me, revealing the bleakest, most barren desert I had ever seen. Not a house or tree in sight. Struggling, I sat up in a daze. Nothing looked familiar. Something warm and wet began to run down my head. I reached up to wipe it away and my fingers came down covered with blood. My head ached, and I couldn't make sense of what was going on, what, was, what I was doing sitting in this wreckage. To my left lay the crushed heap that was our van. Scattered around me were all the things we owned. Suitcases were strewn about, some broken open with shirts, underwear, and socks lying in the dirt. For one frozen minute, I tried to think, what had happened? I remember the difficult meeting, the driving through the night, Climbing in back to sleep, Darlene was driving when my heart lurched. Frantically, I scrambled to my knees. Where was Darlene? Then I saw her, unmoving. She lay face down under a heavy suitcase a few yards away. Darlene! I screamed her name, crawling toward her. There was a brick in my stomach. Lifting the suitcase off of her, I saw that a gash had opened her head and back. Gently, I turned her over. 
She was not breathing. Her eyes were wide open, unseeing, fixed. Cradling her bruised, bloody head in my lap, I rocked her. She's gone. Tears ran down my cheeks. I thought I had lost so much when I gave up my aunt's business offer and my ministerial credits. But now, in a moment's time, everything was lost. Our van was totaled. Our belongings were scattered in the dust of the desert. And the one person who mattered most to me was dead. I looked around wildly at the wreckage. It seemed to symbolize our life. All was gone. Gusts of wind blew stinging needles of sand in my face. What happened next on that desolate stretch of desert road defies all reason. There, with not a living thing around me for miles, a voice spoke my name aloud. Lauren! I looked around. Then I knew. Even though I had never heard his voice with my ears before, I recognized it as the voice of God. Yes, Lord? I responded. Is choked with emotion. Lauren, will you serve me? Why did he have to ask me? There was nothing else left in life now but him. Through tears, I looked into the clear desert and answered, Yes, Lord, I'll serve you. I have nothing left except my life, and you can have that too. In a moment, the Lord spoke a second time. Pray for Darlene. Until I heard those words, I hadn't even thought of praying. I thought she was dead. But I began to pray with all my might. To my astonishment, she drew a rattly-sounding breath. She was fighting to breathe, still unconscious. Other things began to happen. A Mexican man came by in a pickup and went for help. In a little over an hour, we were in an ambulance, headed for the nearest hospital more than 90 miles away. As we drove, the ambulance screaming down the highway at almost a hundred miles an hour, our circumstances became clear to me. Darlene had mistakenly turned off the main highway, and our accident had taken place on a small road a few miles from the Mexican border. As I sat beside Darlene in the ambulance, God spoke to me for the third time, this time inside my mind. He said that Darlene was going to be okay, as soon as those words flashed into my mind, she opened her eyes, rolled her head slightly to the gurney, and smiled at me. Later, she wouldn't be able to remember doing that. When we arrived at the hospital, Darlene and I were rushed into the emergency room. My injuries were cared for at once. They wrapped my head in bandages and prescribed a back brace. We were separated in the emergency room by curtains, but I heard Darlene when she regained consciousness. She began calling my name frantically. I'm here, honey. It's all right, I called to her through the curtains. She must have feared I was dead. Darlene had an injured back and head injuries. My back was hurt and I was badly bruised, but we would mend. It was several days before Darlene was released from the hospital, but I left the same day, walking stiffly, clad in some blood-stained clothes and without any shoes on. My shoes and our other possessions were waiting beside our wrecked van. Later, there was astounding news. Darlene and I found out that at the same hour as our accident, a group of ladies were gathered in Los Angeles suburb for their Thursday morning prayer meeting. One woman, who knew of us and our work, had told the group she believed they were to pray for Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. They started to intercede. That same morning in Northern California, a friend named Bernice Koff Siegel felt she was not to eat lunch, but to spend the time praying for us instead. 
I suppose some may say that I didn't hear the audible voice of God that day in the desert. I was in quite an emotional state at the time, and I can't really prove it. I have heard God speak in my mind many times guiding me, but I believe that day was different. But then, as I have reflected on this experience, I've come to realize that it was not primarily a lesson in how God speaks to his children. What was burned into my heart that day was a lesson on the power that God can release when we lay down our rights. Until that moment, I thought I'd lost everything. I never realized that nothing in my life actually belongs to me. I would speak of my car, my wife, my ministry. After the accident, I realized for the first time how easily I could lose it all in seconds. Everything we have is given to us by God for a time to use for His glory. These new thoughts started me on a quest through Scripture to learn what God has to say on this important subject. What began as a Bible survey became far more than that. The insight I gained transformed me, becoming a key stone for my life in the missionary organization that was birthed, Youth with a Mission. In short, I found through the Bible, especially in the life of Jesus, that the way to win is to give up. Not that we give up our struggle with evil— on the contrary, in more than 25 years of international ministry, I have learned through some dramatic circumstances that laying down my rights is a key to winning major battles with the formidable forces of Satan. When we surrender our personal rights to the Lord for His sake and the sake of the gospel, we discover the secret of inheriting the whole world for Him. For the Christian, there can be no more important and exciting subject to explore.